everybody. Welcome to D-Bronx Podcast. I'm your host, Austin Etheridge, joined here with Kevin Etheridge. How you doing, Kevin? Doing well tonight in a much better mood than last time we had a podcast. A little, little bit better mood now than, than where we've been in the previous couple weeks. Now, it's yes. been a few weeks since we've done a podcast, unfortunately, um, with clashing schedules, holiday seasons, etc., etc. We got all the excuses A to Z. And right gro- down the and, and uh, growing despondency with the team that doesn't yeah encourage podcasting, but things have turned it doesn't around. encourage it. But I but I certainly wasn't. I'm certainly uh, certainly on board for it, even when we uh, even when we are losing. I mean, we did it all the way through last season, and we've already matched our win total from last season with what five games to go. So. Um, don't want to spend really any time at all in the losses uh, to Houston and and uh, Kansas City. We're moving on. Um, We're moving on. Clo- close games. Should I, I? You can make the argument we should have won it. Game management ruined the game against uh, the Texans. Um, but moving on, we've had two huge wins. The Broncos have, have upset the L.A. Chargers in L.A., which. In L.A. is still a home game for Denver. I mean, if you saw, I don't know if you watched that game live, Kevin, but if you look in the stadium, it was 60 to 70% orange in that stadium in L.A. Yeah. And, and and the Chargers are supposedly doing well. What is wrong with that fan base? Well, let, let me jump in here real quick, and I can't address okay. their fan base, but I do have <laughs> a very, very interesting statistic. And if you're... Bronco allegiance has been threatened over the last year and a half. Let me give you a stat that is going to make you proud to be a Bronco supporter. Okay. First off, I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. The last time the, the last time the Broncos have had back-to-back losing seasons, when did that happen? Mid 70s. 74? Close. Last 76. Time, 75, 76. 71, 72. In 1971, oh, okay. they were 4-9-1. Remember, back then, okay. they, they played 14-game seasons. Uh, Do not remember because of my age, but for, I am for, aware. Yeah, <laughs> and there is the internet. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they, they were 4-9-1 in 71. And then they, they improved the next year to 5-9, and nine, but back-to-back losing seasons. Now, that means – the Broncos are on a what is that uh, forty some odd seven forty eight year streak of not having back to back losing seasons. The second longest streak in the NFL: Green Bay Packers ninety ninety one. Third long. Think about huh. that. That's wow. we, we have a twenty year lead over the Packers in their second. Patriots third ninety two ninety three. Oddly enough, the Jets are fourth, 95-96. I'd have to drill down on that, but they've lost a lot. But obviously, obviously, that is, yeah, that obviously is not back-to-back years. So that's – and by the way, even to add sort of further energy to this statistic, the Broncos have the longest streak in all of American professional sports, the four majors. We all know who they are, basketball, football, baseball, hockey. Broncos. The yep. franchise with the longest streak of avoiding back-to-back losing seasons. And guess what? We all thought the streak was going to be broken three weeks ago. But now, 
Now I mean, yeah, it, it wasn't now looking, it's looking good. Now it's looking like we're, we should at least pull out 8-8 eight and eight and keep that streak alive. And I think that says a lot about this franchise uh, and the stability and the winning culture. That's a pretty pretty amazing stat. Yeah. No, I mean, obviously. I mean, to go back that far to have back-to-back losing seasons, that shows that the, the, that the culture in, in Bronco country is winning football. That is the culture. And I think that's why it's so hard for us as fans to take when you have especially consecutive seasons where you're threatening, at least threatening to have losing seasons in, and, uh, but I mean, things are changing now. I mean, I don't, I want to withhold credit. I want to withhold credit to Vance Joseph because he still blew that game in Houston against Houston. And he's had some questionable decisions in the two games following two games that we've won. You could call it, uh, you know, winning in spite of Vance Joseph. I'm not saying that for sure because maybe he's turned a corner too. Um, but to me, it looks more like winning in spite of instead of because of. Well, before Vance we Joseph. start piling on um, uh, Vance Joseph, just one other thing: are the Broncos uh, have the longest streak in the NFL of selling out home games? The longest. Now the streak. Oh yeah. That, that's, that's the street dates back to 1970. Somehow we sold it out in 70, 71 when we had losing seasons. But I don't think it's a coincidence that we have that longest streak of home sellouts when we have the longest streak of avoiding consecutive losing seasons. But 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 it sounds like you still have some grievances about Vance Joseph. So please unburden yourself there, uh, Austin. I you know I I want I want to withhold that as well. So I do I do still have some grievances about Vance Joseph because I do think yeah we're five and six potentially we're we're hitting the easier part of the schedule where we could potentially make a run and get ourselves at least in the conversation of the playoffs. But I also think that there's been multiple games that we that were lost because of Vance Joseph and I don't I've not necessarily seen anything on the coaching side of things that would. That on the coaching side that would change that. I mean, we've still offensively uh, looked bad a lot of the games, uh, a lot, a lot of the game, a lot of the two games, um, and our offense, our defense has given up over a thousand yards in those two losses. Now the keys to winning is that we are creating turnovers and not committing them ourselves. That's been the biggest turnaround for us because earlier in the season we were getting a lot of turnovers uh, or were committing a lot of turnovers and losing the the turnover battle. So that's been a huge thing. And also Case Keenum has looked a lot better in the red zone. So we're finishing drives a lot more now when we get close. And that's, I think, been the difference. Coaching-wise, I've still seen some some calls where he maybe should have thrown a challenge flag and didn't. Or, you know, there's still been some things that – the fact that we've won two games does not necessarily mean that the coach has had a revelation of the last year and a half of crap that he's well, done. Well, I don't think it's. I I think we got to withhold it. I'm not saying let's bash on. Him. I'm saying let's withhold the praise. Well, I'm I'm not him. in. Well, let, let me say this. So listen, I've I've been tough on Vance Joseph when the team's losing. 
you know, you point to the quarterback and the head coach, generally speaking. But let me play devil's advocate here for Vance Joseph for a second, because I've done some soul searching. I've had some evil thoughts about this man over the last 18 months. Very <laughs> evil thoughts. Dude, evil and thoughts. so I did, I did some soul searching and over the last several days, because I knew we were going to be talking. And, and, and let me be an advocate for a second. Vance Joseph has never been a head coach in the NFL. As a matter of fact, before we gave him the job, he was only enough. He was only a defensive coordinator for one year. So he starts yeah. last year's first year as a head coach in the NFL. It is a steep learning curve, an incredibly steep, steep learning curve. And it takes some time. Now, not only is he a first-year head coach thrown into a pressure cooker in Denver following, you know, uh, Kubiak and Manning and, and, and the history the Broncos have and having a taskmaster like John Elway as your boss, that guy could probably be a little intimidating. So he's thrown into this situation, and what do we do for the guy? We give him, we give him a first-time defensive coordinator, Woods, we saddle him with possibly the worst offensive coordinator in the history of the NFL on Mike McCoy. So these are his two offensive coordinators. Oddly so enough. He's got, he doesn't have any strength there. Maybe Woods is okay, but he's a first-time defensive coordinator. And we know all about McCoy. He's been fired three times in, in two years. Not only that, but we give him four. I'm going to give you four with three names. We have Simeon. We have, we have uh, Brock Osweiler. We have Paxton Lynch. None of these guys are starters in the NFL. None of them will ever be starters in the NFL, most likely. So he doesn't have strength at quarterback. He doesn't have strength in offensive coordinators. He's a brand-new rookie head coach. And he had a horrible year last year. What should we expect? He made some bad decisions. So now he's, he's second year in. What you expect to see is some growth. And I would say, based on what we're seeing, this team is a lot better than last year. They got blown out against the Jets. But other than that, they've been in games. They, they played an incredibly difficult schedule up to this point. You think about this. Actually, Houston, Houston, San Diego, and Pittsburgh, first time in NFL history that, it, that a, a team has faced three straight teams that had five straight, straight winning, five-game winning streaks. Kind of a weird – At least. Yeah, at five, least. It's yeah. kind of a weird stat. But he, he's, he's – it hadn't happened in like forty something years, and, and he's got a first year quarterback with in this system, and a new you know in Case Keenum. So he hasn't had a, a, a lot of, I should say, he hasn't a, a lot of sort of elements that new head coaches need to to prosper. Meaning you know a good quarterback, good OCs. He just hasn't had that. Now he's still made some mistakes earlier this year, uh, but this team is fighting. They appear to be playing hard. They're in games. This guy, I don't know how. How can you avoid the media as a head coach? I don't know how you do it. But for a month or two, every news cycle talks about who's going to be the next Broncos coach. This guy's effectively been fired for four or five weeks. But he comes to work. He's got that team fighting. So I don't think he's lost the locker room. Maybe he lost it last year. But he, but he seems to have the locker room, and he has the team fighting and playing. So I want to give the guy the benefit of the doubt. He's, he's, it's, it's on-the-job training, right? He's learning on the fly. But things are better. Doesn't mean I think he's a long-term answer, but I think he's – No, I, and, and, and to your point, I, I don't think that he's lost the locker room this year. I do not think that he's lost the locker room. I do think that the team is at least – to some degree or another, playing for him. Um, but it did take Von Miller 
uh, prior to that game against um, uh, Cardinals in order to give them a confidence boost. It wasn't nothing with the coach. I mean, uh, nothing with with Vance Joseph specifically coming out and saying anything or trying to get him rallied up. It was it was a player. Now, of course, it was an All Pro player, a leader on the team, someone who should do it. But it did take. A player, as opposed to the coach. But what we do don't it. know is do what prompted. What we don't know is what prompted. Sorry, we don't know what prompted Miller to do it. I don't think he. I don't yeah, think. But, we, but, but but I I know that we. But it, but just I mean, of course, we don't know what prompted Miller. It could have it could have been Joseph. Go on a go on a whim and say it was Joseph. That's a complete skeptical whim. That that there's no weight behind it had that. To, I mean, it, yeah, you, you could, had to have his. You knowledge. could throw in a ton of different reasons, and that's fine. But 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 none of them have any evidence to this point. So I mean, it it doesn't do us any good to try and uh, take a a shot in the dark type of guess in terms of oh was that Joseph that put him up to that? We have no clue. Well, he but no Joseph had to have knowledge of it. I don't think that. I but again, that's that's speculation, not something that I'm willing to put any weight into. Um, but again. They are they are fighting. They're cl- they clearly have not quit. The players clearly have not quit on this season, and you know at least it directly or indirectly on Vance Joseph, they have not quit on him either. So so there is something to be said for that, and and it's not necessarily that 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 has not necessarily been my argument with Vance Joseph. My argument with Vance Joseph has always been just his ability as a head coach, not necessarily his ability as being a likable guy that people want to play for, but his ability to actually coach the team properly. And, and, and you highlighted plenty of good reasons. You make good points, uh, talking about the situation that he's been in and everything. But we do have to remember that, you know, Simeon was a first round or for a first year starter, uh, you know, as a seventh round pick in 2015 under what we thought was a terrible offense with Gary Kubiak. And we still went nine and seven and he made a, the Pro Bowl as an alternate. Now he wasn't, you know, voted the top three, but he made it as an alternate, which means that he was at least in the top five or six of voting. So then we bring in, we then we bring in Mike McCoy. Bad, I understand, but we talk about how bad the offense or how bad things were. Like, oh, these quarterbacks were terrible. Like, okay, then why did we have a winning record and a Pro Bowl quarterback the year before Vance Joseph got here? Like, like we have to keep some things constant if we're going to have any any sake of comparison we have to have something that's a constant if there's going to be any any use in trying to compare um so if you i mean if if simeon is the constant he went nine and seven uh the year before made a made a pro bowl and the next year with vance joseph things were quite different rookie head coach Um, i i think if he if he can get this thing turned around like like he appears to be, which we, which we all are hoping that he does. Of course, yeah. So I think, of course, we turn around. It goes without saying. Yeah, they, they end up eight and eight or nine and seven or who knows? They could go ten and six. They've got a pretty re- easy schedule. I don't think they will. But and, and if we turn around and fire this guy, it's almost like the football gods would will curse the Broncos. I don't think you can do that. Um, so I, I'm really torn. I sort of feel like. Well, you know, we get the season turned around. Maybe we go eight and eight. Maybe we go nine and seven, and 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 it gives Vance Joseph another year. Does that? Do we begin to morph into the Cincinnati Bengals at that point? Right, where just mediocrity. I think if we go eight and eight, then there's no reason to keep him on at eight and eight because if we go eight and eight with how easy the schedule is from this point. Then did we really even turn it around? Well, he he certainly, I think. 
If it, it, no, it, well, here's my thing. If we're going to play up to the good teams and then play down to the bad teams, have we really turned a corner? Well, he have to go three and two from this point out to go eight and eight. Um, three and two against a team against teams that have a combined fourteen wins, and that includes the eight wins that the Chargers alone have. Right. So I don't know. I so if we don't win four, there's no reason to think that we turned any corner. Well, a lot will depend on how they play. I mean, the one loss is obviously is important, but how do they look over the next five games? Um, and it, is this team playing hard? Um, as they have been. And then I think we've got a decision to make. But right now, you know, I would be inclined to give them the benefit of the doubt. Let's see how he finishes up the year. Believe me, two weeks ago, one of them gone. But now I think he, he's earned the right to at least be considered as a as a potential coach for next year and beyond. Let's see what he does. But uh, I, No, I agree. I agree with that. I just think that he does have to do more than just – par for the course i mean again if, if we're gonna if he's if he's turned a corner he's turned a corner if the team has turned a corner under him perfect but the team has not turned a corner if they lose two of the next you know four games which are against very easy teams or you know i mean no i don't ever want to say easy because it is still the nfl but teams that have two wins i mean half half the teams we're playing have two wins uh the Bengals are one of the exceptions and and they're on a they're one and five in the last six games, starting Jeff Driscoll, who's never started a game before. Yeah, the thing that scares me about the and they have the worst defense in the league. Actually, before we get on to the Bengals, we should we should talk a little bit about the Pittsburgh game. So I'm going to throw a question at you. Oh, I agree. I, uh, I wholeheartedly agree. I just wanted to make that point with Vance. Joseph. So let's say, uh, give me three of your MVPs from the Pittsburgh game. Oh, three of my MVPs. First of all. I, th- I think the one that goes without saying, the one that everyone knows, is Shelby Harris. I agree wholeheartedly. Because of the game game ceiling interception. But I, I think the play of the game in this game was by Will Parks. Yes. When he broke the ball loose as Grimble uh, was crossing into the uh, end zone. Huge. Which ended up being a touchback in our favor. That, to me, was the absolute play of the game. I agree. So... And I would say yep. so. You got Parks. My, you've got Harris. My, Who's the third? My third is a toss-up. I am gonna. I am gonna make a choice, but I, I do want to do my honorable mention. My honorable mention is Chris Harris Jr. because yep. of when when he was paired against Antonio Brown, he gave up three catches for 18 yards with an interception. Good call. Remember, he okay. probably had his worst game in the, his career. A few years ago in, in Pittsburgh. 2015 yeah. against, against Antonio yeah. Brown. So he gives up only three catches for 18 yards and an interception. Call. So he's my honorable mention. But Philip Lindsay would be my third MVP because he, he sparked the offense. Oh, I love that guy. So fun to watch. He sparked the offense, and he's been doing it all year. This guy is a revelation as an undrafted rookie, just like Rod Smith was, just like Terrell Davis. I mean, I mean Terrell Davis didn't have it as much in his rookie year, but these undrafted players that we're finding with Chris Harris as well, I mean, it's just been a revelation in Denver with undrafted Lindsay, undrafted players. This guy is close to becoming an absolute superstar. On the field yeah. and off the field, this guy is total class. Uh, he was getting pressured several weeks ago because of his play on the field and the fact that he wears number 30. And Broncos fans mm-hmm. know about number 30, Terrell Davis. And Terrell Davis was the player 20 years ago that started the Mile High Salute. 
So fans yeah. were coming to him. Hey, start to salute again. We got to get that. Tra-. And and you know what Lindsey was saying? He goes, "I haven't earned it. I haven't earned it yet." Um, now he just started it because he feels like he's earned the salute. That's out of res- he did it this week. That's, against that's the out of respect to Terrell Davis and the Broncos organization. Seems like a first class guy. And by the way, NFL talent evaluators. Including the Denver Broncos, by the way, he played he completely. He, play, it, he played right up the street. How do you, I'm, <laughs> if you redrafted again, he'd have to be a first rounder. He's playing. Oh, he'd be you no know, no later than second round. I mean, Saquon Barkley is still lighting it up, but yeah, Philip Lindsay would definitely be in the discussion. Of Amazing the, what, what this second, guy's doing. Second running back off the board, man. So for real. so my picks are. Shelby Harris, I agree with you. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, I think they ought to give him a look at uh, free safety after that pick. Maybe they could. Oh my they... god! <laughs> <laughs> hey, Justin Simmons, we need to spell you on this next yeah. series. We're gonna put in Shelby the, Harris, the heaviest <laughs> free safety in the history of the NFL. Uh, I'll tell you, play, players yeah. would be nervous going over the middle though with that guy back there. Oh, that's for um, sure. but they would just blow right past him. But um. <laughs> but, yeah, that guy was disruptive in the middle. I mean, everybody likes Pico, but I want to see Harris get some looks at nose tackle. I don't think he's a classic nose tackle, but he gets some penetration. He makes things happen. And, uh, yeah, so he definitely was an MVP. He almost got – He, I mean, it's I, it truly is unbelievable that Ben Roethlisberger on that 97-yard touchdown pass, it's remarkable got, that Roethlisberger got that ball out accurately because Shelby Harris was collapsing on he him. He should have had a safety a or or a, or a strip yeah, sack. Yeah, so so that's what I'm saying like that 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 play, obviously I was upset, but that was almost more of like a Okay, that's more of an incredible play by Ben Roethlisberger than it was a bad play by us. Yes, you know what agreed. I mean. Agreed, absolutely agreed. Because that was we were collapsing in on him very quickly. Now listen, listen. So, my top three, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna give a tip of the cap to Chris Harris and uh, and Lindsey, but I'm gonna go a little bit off the radar in terms of my MVPs. Okay, Matt Lacoste, tight end. Okay, yeah, I can see that it. guy yeah. stepped it up. He had a game of his tight end, ta- tight end game of his career. Look, the guy's a liability as a blocker, but he looks to be a reasonably yes, good uh, receiver. And of course, with he's our number one tight end uh, now. Suddenly, because Butts out, Hewerman's out. Uh, it's we've been decimated. Hewerman's on IR now too. Yep. So Lacoste, and then the other guy, we've been beating up this offensive line forever. But this offensive line, it's like the more injuries we have, the better they play. The better we play. They (laughs) played rock solid. We are leading. I don't think uh, Keenum was was hit much. He he had a pretty clean pocket. And we lead the league in, uh, uh, what is it? What's the stat? Rushing uh, yards per carry or whatever the stat is. Yeah, yards per carry, yep. Somebody's creating these holes. And uh, that line, so I'm going to say Valdir, our right tackle. I like what that guy's mm-hmm. doing. I don't think he's a great pass blocker or a great run blocker, but he's anchoring the right side like we haven't seen in four or five years, it seems like. We've had so many problems at right tackle for so long. So I got to give him some credit. So I'm going to go Valdir, Lacoste, and Shelby Harris. And, and those are good. And even even when you look at, uh, you know, the way Josie Jewell has, has yep. played um, – in place of Brandon Marshall, he hasn't lit the world on fire, but there hasn't been much of a drop off, and he's still just a young young guy, middle middle round draft pick. Um, we all we all liked him, but I mean, for him to step up and play the way that he has, 
has been really good, even despite the fact that we've given up a ton of yards. You know, he's 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 seemingly he never looks out of place. Does that make sense? He never looks like he's in the wrong place or drastically off his guy in coverage. You know that kind of thing. And I think with it, when it's a rookie, that that says something. And then also, Case Keenum has stepped yep. up. I mean, prior to week seven, the first six weeks of the season, Case Keenum had, uh, uh, I think it was a 59 QBR rating mm-hmm. or something like mm-hmm. that. 59. So it was it was bad last year. And I'm I might not be. Let me just let me check my uh, terminology here. But I'll continue. Um, last year. With the with the Vikings, uh, he he had an eight. I think it was eighty one point three. So he was playing substantially better last year. Obviously, he was in a system that you know he had a little bit more time with, and this is his first year uh, doing it with us. But I think it was an eighty one point three that he had last year, and he started his first six games with a fifty nine with us. Now since week seven, he's raised that number to 82 mm-hmm. so since week seven he's actually been better rated than his time in minnesota good stat. so he's starting to turn a turn a corner because there's two things that they were looking at and it was it was a uh, an article that i was reading i wish i had that article so i could uh you know give credit where it's due but um it was an article that i was reading that was saying that the two places that he's begin to excel in is he's moving around in the pocket better taking fewer hits He's uh, have it, he's throwing fewer balls that are what they call turnover-prone balls, basically balls that could very easily be intercepted, whether or not they are. Um, they could very easily be intercepted. Mm-hmm. And number three, he's fitting. He's 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 being more aggressive and fitting balls into tighter windows with better accuracy than he was in the first six weeks of the season. So even Case Keenum, as he's gotten more comfortable in the system with with Bill Musgrave. He's started to turn a corner a little bit as well. Now he's not lighting the wall on fire, but he's playing efficiently, which is what we needed from him all along. Agreed. And let me give, let me give you a couple other things about Keenum. I think this is a good topic, right? So last three games, no picks, as you've highlighted, no picks. He's got 113 straight passes yeah. without a pick. But you know he's been inconsistent this year. But 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 he's he, obviously the numbers are looking a little bit better. But the thing I like about him is he's like a gamer. Okay, in the fourth quarter. He's completing 70% of his passes. 70% of his passes in the fourth quarter. He's had four mm-hmm. four game-winning drives this year, tied for number one of all NFL quarterbacks. He's had three come-from-behind victories, which he's he's only behind Goff and uh, Watson at Houston in that. So, um, and he's showing some real leadership ability. So I yeah, he's been a real definitely a, a good leader. a real key for us, no doubt. Definitely a good leader. Now. The one now there are a couple things that I do want to take note of on the negative side. Now I do we have had a lot to be positive about, and I'm really excited because the teams that we're playing going forward, we're playing uh, the Bengals, the Browns, the we're playing the Chargers again. Not not necessarily in this order. We're playing the Chargers again, playing the Raiders, and we're playing uh, one more that I'm drawing a blank on, and I'll find that out for you. But um, so our chances are looking. Pretty good to at least at least get into conversation. Oh, the 49ers yep. was that fifth yep. team. Um, so we're looking pretty good at least to be in the conversation of a wild card. Right, that's true. So at least in the we're, if we can if we can win four or five games, we're in the conversation. Yep. 
um, obviously some chips have to fall our way, but, um, so I am really excited. Uh, things are looking a lot better than they were. And suddenly we survived the gauntlet to a certain degree. And now we have the easier stretch of schedule. Some negatives, however, are we've gotten some injuries starting to pile up. Obviously, Jeff Hireman's out. Um, Tremaine Brock got injured this last game. He's looking like he's going to be out. Um, and then the injuries on their offensive line, which, to your point, you're, they've been playing almost I'll better bear it. the more they've gotten injured on the offensive line. But you don't want to take that too much for granted. Of course, you do want to have healthy bodies there. Um the yards we've given up, we've given up a ton of yards, which I know the, the way of the NFL has changed now. It's not necessarily about preventing the yards as much as it is. Even though we're we're giving up a ton of yards, we are giving up, I think, only 19 points a game at this point. Yep. And so that certainly helps. Um, Don't forget Barrett. Ba- Barrett's our, out. Shaquille Barrett. Barrett's that's out, huge. too. That's another injury. Thank you for reminding me. Barrett's out. Another guy that's that had a good game against the Steelers. Um, but our, our production from our receivers has been not good. Now Sanders, Sanders, Sanders had a very good game against the Steelers, but I mean, we, we all thought that Sutton was ready to turn a corner. Uh, he hasn't, um, since Thomas has, has, uh, has gone Sutton's playing time has increased drastically, but he's almost been worse since Thomas left than he was prior. He had one catch against the Steelers for about, I think it was like 15 yards or something like that. Um, has had multiple drops. I'm a little worried about our receiver core right now because Sanders is the only one who's still producing. And he was only mediocre, you know, I can't think of the word there, but he was only averagely producing prior to this game against the Steelers. So I am a little worried about our receivers, especially now that Hireman has gone down. Yeah, I well, see, what, what's happened over the hurt. last three weeks is we've really been changing the the, the, the game plan in terms of our uh, passing attack, and we've been leaning more on the, the tight ends, right? Now with all the injuries there, we're who knows? Maybe uh, we're saved by Lacoste. But, yeah, Sutton's going to have to step up. I'm not – too worried about Sutton. I mean, he's a rookie, and it's a tough position to learn as a rookie, and he's been thrown into it. Uh, I think he'll he'll come around. He needs to have that breakout game. I think yeah. we're kind of hoping for that. And and I think I, yeah, I think whether it was a ba- I think he'll get there. I, I, I think I think he'll yeah. get there. I don't necessarily think that he won't get there, but what you know, I don't necessarily think that Sutton won't get there. I'm just saying that at this point, it's not working. It's not happening. And of course, we're leaning more on tight ends because our receivers are not getting open. I think I don't think that they would stop throwing to receivers if the receivers were getting open. I don't think I, th- I do think there is some game planning there, but I also think it's you know I mean Sutton he's been dropping a lot and which was you know one of you know everyone's complaints about Thomas he's been dropping the ball a lot, but he hasn't been making the plays to counter that. Well, but, you know, but Thomas, he, he, he made, he made he a would, great play against San Diego. Uh, at the end, right? I mean, at the very yeah, end, he, but he, yeah, that was a really good play. So yeah, I, I admit, I'm, but I, I'm okay with him. He's a rookie. He's learning the role. He's learning how to run routes. Learning how to create separation. I think there's enough physical ability there. It, but 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 we but, again, I'm not saying that he won't get there. It's, it's, that's not the argument that I'm making. And this is just me. This is just me talking. And you're you know obviously you and whoever else listens to this is more than welcome to disagree with me. But he's not there yet. 
And and if we are trying to make a run at the playoffs, which it seems at this point that we are, at least uh, this after this turnaround, it looks like we're trying to make a run at the playoffs. Uh, yeah, I do think I think Sutton's going to get there. I don't think he's has no talent and he's just a wash up. Of course not. But he's not there right now, and we need someone who's going to perform right now. And so um, there has been, you know, w- you know whether or not you think it was the right move. There has been a steep drop off in terms of wide receiver production since Thomas got traded. Um, and I think Thomas would be great to have during this stretch run that we're going to try and go on right now. Um, and he hasn't he hasn't lit it up in Houston either. But I but we knew how to use him a little bit more. He was on route to another thousand yard season. Um, and you know, just kind of, if Sutton had really picked up the slack, I, I don't think I'd be even, even that worried about it, but I think there's been, well, but look at this since, uh, well, again, whether, whether it's, you know, a bad, you know, and he could say it's a bad personnel decision because Sutton wasn't ready to take that spot. Well, but, that, si- but since Thomas argument. left, we've played our best football of the year. I mean, when he left, I, we, we played Houston. We should have beat them. We played we played really well against Houston. And we beat San Diego and we beat Pittsburgh. Yeah, but didn't we also almost beat the Rams and Kansas City twice? I, well, I'm just looking post-Thomas. I mean, but, but my, my point is – my point is – I, I don't think that that Thomas leaving has been has been like oh yeah now that Thomas is gone we can we can start winning football games I don't I don't think that that is that merits much uh, weight to it I just I I mean because we we played very well against against top teams when he was still here I mean so I I just I don't I don't think that has, holds much weight to it I mean especially when the guys behind him have been drastically worse well I mean maybe they could have changed the game plan or something prior to him leaving but but it's not like anyone's picked up the slack all right in that regard you have made your point clear on thomas sir what what do what do we talk about now you want to talk about cincinnati or what else do you have on your list well i mean obviously cincinnati i'm looking forward to because they're the worst defense in the league right now and they're starting a, a, a quarterback who's never started a game yet in jeff driscoll he did look decent when he came in for dalton but you have to you have to believe, especially with a defensive minded coach, that we should know how to take advantage of this situation, right? Well, a couple things I would say. I, I am getting concerned with the the injuries. We really got hit with with Barrett uh, out now. Yeah. We got hit with uh, tight end position. So I, I I'm, I'm nervous there. Number two, we've come off two huge victories against two good teams. This is a classic setup for us to let down. This is where we need coaching. And we need the coaches to get these players not only ready in terms of the game plan, but emotionally ready to play. Uh, we've got a chance to make a playoff mm-hmm. run. This will be a real test of the coaching staff's leadership. Three, I'm nervous about East Coast. We don't do well in 11 o'clock games. I mean, we're playing in Cincinnati, you know, 1 p.m. East Coast time. It's 11 a.m. on uh, in Colorado. Last time we did that was in New York. You know what happened. We don't have a good track record. Cincinnati is a team on the decline. Uh, on paper, we're a, a touchdown better, most likely. But uh, I just don't like traveling to their place. And uh, backup quarterback on their side, you know, the, the, that's like a wild card. A lot of the times these guys come in, they don't have any pressure on them, and they play lights out, and, and, and then they fall back down to earth. So I, it, it's a classic trap game for us. It, we have every reason to come out and, and play well, right? We play well, we're 6-6, six and six, and we are in, in the playoff hunt. 
but it's still a scary game. It's still an NFL team. So, you know, I think if we can, if we can beat Cincy on the road, I'm going to feel much, much better about our playoff chances, obviously. Of course, isn't that's also it's also our last game on the east east coast. I mean, not I mean, Cincinnati is not the coast, but the eastern side of the country, because then we're playing in San Francisco. We're playing in Denver, in Oakland and then back in Denver. So that would be our last game that we'd have to do any significant traveling, especially crossing time zones um, going toward the east coast. So if we do come out with that win, then we really can't make any any quarrels about you know you know East Coast games or anything like that moving forward. So um, yeah, I, I mean I do I do see I definitely our, our team we have more losses than wins this year. So of course there's still worry there. We still haven't shown that we can consistently come out on top in games. Uh, especially in close games. We've lost a lot of close games this year. We haven't shown that we can consistently do that. Uh, so, of course, you don't want to go in overly confident. And I did like, like, I know Emmanuel Sanders was on uh, primetime, you know, uh, with Deion Sanders and was talking about, you know, we have to take it one game at a time. And I don't, I don't believe it's just words. I do think they actually believe that because they've underestimated opponents before in the past and, and it's 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 bit them, you know. And so I think that they are truly at least the mentality is that they're going to take it one game at a time and not try to get over confident in any of these games. And I think that starts this week, especially because as fans, we can get overconfident because it is a rookie quarterback. It is the worst defense in the league. It is a team that is spiraling and we can say, hey, that looks like an easy win. But it is still an NFL team and we have to be careful. And they have, you know, Marvin Lewis, I mean. You say what you want about how he's been recently, but he's 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 a borderline legend as a head coach. So he's probably going to have the team prepared pretty well, at least as best as he can do. So so I agree with you. There is there is still reason to be cautious. I would say. Yeah, but with that. Yep, game. agreed. But, By the way, I just want to flip back to a, a key play that you'd mentioned earlier in the Pittsburgh game, mm-hmm. and that was the one where Will, Will Parks. Uh, effectively created that fumble. Great play. Now, I got to tell you, I watched that play, and it's huge for a Broncos fan. I, I'm I'm elated, but then I'm thinking it's a weird rule. I mean, it went from a touchdown to a touchback. It seems overly harsh, right? The guy he fumbled and it and it, it fumbled out of the end zone. I guess logically it makes sense, but it doesn't feel right. It, 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 I, have you thought about that? I, I, I ha, I, I mean, to a certain degree. I mean, I do think that's it's pretty harsh. But what, what's the alternative? I, I don't have a good alternative. That, that's the problem. I thought, but, but it just struck me. It's just, it's a. Now, listen. I think there's extra responsibility when you, when, when you're crossing a goal line to hold on to the ball. Um, yeah. But I don't know, man. It, 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 But I do think it's kind of weird because, like, typically, if, if offensive player fumbles it out of bounds. It just remains their ball wherever it went out of bounds. And then when they get to the goal line, suddenly not only do they not have the ball, but it's the other team. They don't get the touchdown. Like it's this huge turn, whereas typically anywhere else on the field, they just goes out of bounds and that's it. You still maintain the ball. You maintain the down. You don't lose any yardage. And then suddenly when you get to the goal line, it's it's this drastic yeah, turn. It's weird. I get that. I'd, I'd say the only alternative you could really think of is like, okay, if he fumbles it into the end zone and out of the end zone, 
then they maintain possession, but they get it first and ten at the ten yard line. Hmm. I don't know. We're not. We're you not know, gonna. That's not bad. I'm not even saying they need to overturn it, but it, I just, it's I'm just not weird. saying they need to change that rule. I'm just saying like that's the only alternative that I can think of. Yeah. Be- yeah. You know that would make any sense. Uh, in that in that regard, but I I see I see your point. I see your point. But anyways. Uh, we do got to wrap up here. Uh, unfortunately, Ian could not be with us this week, uh, and that's unfortunately it's been you know a couple episodes in a row he has not been able some, to do, some technical uh, issues in Virginia Beach. Yeah, technical issues primarily. So, uh, hope he's getting those worked out. He sh- he was actually hoping to be able to make it on this episode. So, would, so he's definitely close to uh, to be able to making it work. Um, so he should be here um, for the next episode, um, which will hopefully be following a win or two versus Bengals and then the 49ers following that so um from from kevin from myself uh we all we all thank you for listening you can check us out on google apple uh spotify any of the any of those major podcasting platforms if you want to subscribe uh that helps us out a lot as well um and sharing obviously helps us out a lot as well um and we'll hopefully be able to start producing these a little bit more consistently, a little more more frequently. Um, But from Kevin, from myself, we thank you for listening and tuning in to Deep Bronx Podcast. Have a good night.